there's been a lot of hot takes and subtweets and things about the positive and negative connotations of having a robust list of companies, I think is a good way to say it, mm -hmm. on someone's DevRel resume. Um, is it a sign of success or a signal that things are more fluid than outsiders might think they are? So we're going to touch down on a touchy topic, DevRel job hopping. You're listening to the Community Pulse Podcast. Welcome your host, Mary Thangval, Jason Hand, PJ Haggerty, and Wesley Faulkner. And there's a ton of discussion around how long you spend at a job, how often you switch jobs, and I know all of us know, you know, the, the typical jobs that our parents had with the path of like, you graduate and then you get a job and you stay there for your entire career is not a thing that we do. But in particular in DevRel, it seems like something that is not common. Uh, so we have three awesome guests with us here today and I will let them all introduce themselves. Mandy, we'll start with you. Hi, I'm Mandy Moore. I've been in various roles for 14 years now, starting with, um, assistance work and then moving into podcasting, audio production, and now I do social media and marketing with Honeycomb. Hi, I'm Chloe. I'm very hoarse. I sound like Countess Luann right now because this is the most I've socialized with people in years. Uh, I currently work at Google as a developer relations engineer on our developer media studios team, which is a fancy way of saying I make Google's videos for Google about all our various cloud things. And yeah, super excited to be here because I would say I'm a hippity hopper of job hopping. <laughs> And I'm Aisha Blake. I am currently Director of Developer Relations for Pluralsight. Uh, but I have hopped as well through uh, a few different roles kind of adjacent to developer relations. Uh, and I have a lot of feelings. So looking forward to it. <laughs> it's really great to have you here. We have a long list of questions. We might not get to them all. But the first one is the big sticky one. Um, hopping from job to job means you leave a job and you start another job. And starting another job usually entails going through interviews. So the question usually is like they want to hire someone with experience, but you, it's hard to get experience without having a lot of jobs. How do you navigate those conversations with you have all these jobs, but your stint may not be as long as people expect? Um, I think I'll start off by talking about how I initially kind of broke in to developer relations mm -hmm. uh, and we can go from there. So I like I, a good B&E. Let's go. Yeah. Let's start at the beginning. A very good place to start. There you go. Uh, I felt like I had to. This is the yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, So I started my career working in a coding boot camp. Mm -hmm. I was writing curriculum and I was teaching and that very much has colored all of the things that I have done since. I was, I didn't even know what DevRel was at that point. I started going to conferences as a speaker and just sort of figuring out what I liked about community in, in the context of tech. Mm -hmm. And over the years, I sort of, that became more and more a part of my professional identity. Right. I was a developer, but I was also very much a speaker. And that felt like, that began to feel like 
the most important thing that I did was my community work locally in Detroit and my sort of connections with people that I met through these larger events. Uh, and so that experience, I got to the point where people were asking me if I was in DevRel. <laughs> and I was like, eventually I was like, I don't really know what that means. What does that mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I was like, ah, oh, that, that can be a job. You can, you can do that for money. I can, I can be paid to do this instead of shamed. That's great. <laughs> like, I, I want to I wanna try it. And so I actually moved into what I kind of see as a, a it's, it's a, a facet of certain developer relations or developer experience teams. I started working on documentation. And I really loved that. It was uh, an open source project uh, that already had a pretty strong community and really great people working on the docs. And I learned so much from that. And that was sort of the jumping off point for me to say, you know what, yes, I want to try to make this career move into developer relations. But I sort of had right. these half steps along the way that didn't I didn't really realize we're building right. to that. Yeah. So all these side quests were part of your journey. <laughs> exactly. And then you, you spend that into a narrative in order to get to the final boss. Is that right? The final That's boss. perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Chloe, what about you? Yeah, I feel like I've gone through different seasons of and, and different flavors of DevRel because mm -hmm. I I have a kind of similar journey where I, I did a boot camp and um, during the final weeks of my boot camp, my boyfriend was giving all these talks at Android developer conferences and I literally asked him, that part of your job where you give talks, is that a job? <laughs> because it, it became very apparent to me, at least in my, I went to Hackbright, which was an all women's software engineering boot camp, that not everybody likes public speaking. In fact, not a lot of engineers like to speak at all. Um, so that really was my secret weapon. And I was just explaining this, this to someone earlier today that, you know, when I was marketing myself as a nothing on my resume, people were literally bringing me in for interviews because they're like, why is this musical theater girl coming in for this job interview? Like, we just have to talk to her. This is so strange. But the argument I made for myself is, look, you can hire someone who has technical ability here at this level, but I've been doing the public speaking thing and have, you know, I, I've played an ogre on stage to like <laughs> hundreds of thousands of people. You can you can upskill me in the tech and you won't have to upskill me as you would another another candidate. So um, yeah, I got very lucky. I, I My first job was in Favrel. The first job that I had was like basically feeling out the ropes. The, the second job I had at Sentry was more meetup focused and community focused. Then I went to Microsoft where I was traveling a lot and then the global Panera happened and then I was doing live streaming a lot. And throughout all those jobs, now working at Google, it's taken me, gosh, like five or six years now to be like, mm. oh, this is the part of DevRel that I like and I want to do. And for me, that's been on camera work or podcasting or just creative content creation, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, and what was really nice is when you get to a point of seniority in your career, you're more mm -hmm. 
interviewing the company. They're asking right. you, right. And, and I had this experience when I was interviewing. I Someone said, what are you looking for? And I said, I want to work at a company I, where I don't have to edit my own videos. I need a production team. I'm a great engineer, and you shouldn't be paying me this much money to be in Canva all day. Like that, right. That's not what you pay me for. So there were some companies that were like, oh, then this isn't a good fit. Great. Glad we got that out of the way. And the team that I landed at at Google is perfect because it's like, okay, we make videos in-house for Google um, with our own production team. So a lot of it, as you get more seniority in your career and you figure out what do I actually enjoy and what and what pieces do I not enjoy? Do you travel for like a year and then go, okay, I don't want to do that for like <laughs> five years. So that's what's been really, like if you asked me when I was in my boot camp what I would be doing, I, I would never imagine that I would be here recording a podcast, but... Um, well, it's, it's actually funny because if you go back, I don't, I don't know the episode number because I don't have it on hand, but the first time you were ever on this podcast, you were like brand new in your first DevRel role in Century. Yeah. <laughs> and you were doing the podcast on what it means to be brand new in DevRel. Yeah. So go, listeners should go back and listen to that. Well, yeah. they always say like, or at least my, my ADHD coach told me like, or I read somewhere that to figure out what you love to do, go back to what you did as a kid. Mm -hmm. And now that I work in this role at Google, I literally just found this cassette tape of me when I was little, hosting my own NPR show going, let me tell you about you know, Billy Holiday. Billy was named Billy because her dad wanted her to be a boy. Not true. Like, I'm just like making stuff up. Right. You're like ChatGPT version like, of yes. yourself. It's literally, <laughs> and I sent it to my manager, Maria, um, which is, it's awesome. Now I get to work with this like wonderful manager who's, you know, worked on film and television and I'm learning so much in that space now. And I was like, listen to this recording. It is literally what I do now. Like, and, and it's funny how you, you know, maybe it's like writing or whatever it is that you mm -hmm. did, like finding that joy and, you know, bringing it into what you do now. Yeah. So you peacock to get noticed, basically, <laughs> with the, of resumes, and then you kind of learn by experience of saying this, now I don't, I don't really know what this is, but the only way to learn is by doing. And it's okay to right. like, come to terms with yourself and be like, you know what? I don't ever want right. to give a talk in person again. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's not what happened with me, but right. you just, you get to a point where you're like, oh, I want to do that thing. Right. Like whatever that is over there. So the experience that you brought up in your last role is that I know all of the stuff and I know all the stuff I don't want to do. So I've refined to this, distilled myself to the potent version of myself that where I can be the most effective and that's how you're able to transition. And obviously like now. when you're a junior, more junior person, like you can't be as choosy. Like yeah. I see this mistake a lot with boot camp grads where they're like, I want to work for a nonprofit that helps trees in Nicaragua. And I'm like, okay, okay, let's zoom out a little bit. Let's like right. try to find something like, especially for those first roles. But you know, you can really find your dream job, like, if you know what it is you're looking for. Right, yep. And, Mandy, what about you? How do you traverse the interview gauntlet with the your background and being able to do all this different stuff? I've never had an interview. Ooh. <laughs> Lucky. All right. No, code. Uh, yeah, people um, just know me and my reputation as a hard worker, and I mean, I feel like I've been doing DevRel for 14 years, even though I'm not even really recognized as doing DevRel. I even tried to get into Slack and they're like, no, you don't do that full time. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm like an OG. Um, Cause I was doing this 14 years ago um, when my daughter was born and I needed to do something. So I just started doing like assistant work and scheduling um, a pretty prominent developer at the time. And then he said, I'm going to start a podcast. And I said, he said, uh, I need you to edit it. And I'm like, 
Googling what's a podcast because this is 14 years ago. Um, so I figured it out and I taught myself how to do that. And then I guess I did a pretty good job. I started introducing me to friends. I, you know, my name got around. And so I've been in various roles ever since as a contractor, um, just floating around, doing social media, marketing. I've done um, operations management. I've done community building and things like that, but I still really don't know what my place is here yeah. <laughs> in DevRel and how I can actually break into like a full-time role because I'm kind of tired of uh, <laughs> doing the contracting thing for 13 years and I have like 10 different clients to keep up with. So Well, then it's also <laughs> when you're contracting, it's like there's, there's the job of actually doing the DevRel stuff. Yeah. And the job of like doing the billing and the taxes and yeah. the accounting and all that. Jazz. And the marketing so it's like, and the sales yeah. and the, yeah. Finding yeah. new clients and keeping the current clients happy, but making sure that you have income. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's stressful. Are you previewing our next episode? <laughs> I, I, I might be. But all that to say, be. like, I, I haven't like interviewed with people because usually people just contact me and then say, I, I say like, what can you do? And I'm like, what do you need me to do? And they'll be like, well, we need this, this, and this. And so I kind of like, do so many varieties of different things for so many different companies. But yeah, I'm tired. (laughs) (laughs) Understandable. Well, and I think that's a a fair point to make, right? That there hits a point where we're doing so many different things that we're stretched in so many ways and we're trying to be everything to everyone rather than saying, look, this is what I enjoy. This is what I specialize in. Mm -hmm. This is really what I want to do. And I think that kind of leads us into one of our next questions, which is along the lines of like, how do we, how do we determine, you know, hey, I'm, I'm everything to everyone at this job, therefore I need to move on, but I can kind of catalog, here's the things that I've done, here's the things that I'm capable of and I can do in the future. But then on the other hand, we can stay at a job for a very long time sometimes, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but there's it's also not necessarily good thing exactly, too, right? Exactly. So I think there's that balance of, you know, how long do we stay because it's a, a good fit? How long do we stay because we're learning new skills? Is there a standard? Is there an expectation of like, how long is too long? How short is too short? When do you, and this came up earlier today, but when do you know how to move on or what the right time is to do that in a way that, you could highlight it well on your resume and be able to use that experience as a stepping stone to the next thing. Yeah, I, and I always use it as an example for this. Um, I started my DevRel career at Engineered. I think everybody knows that. Um, and we had a very specific thing. I may, may have mentioned it. <laughs> yeah. But there's, there's this little spot on my resume and in my LinkedIn profile that when I go to an interview, it comes up every single time. I left Engineered to go to a company called Jut.io, where I was there for one month because issues, founder issues, decided they didn't want to do it anymore and shut down the whole company while I was at a conference in Ireland. Super comfortable, super awesome situation. But every interview I've done since then is like, why were you only there for one month? Mm-hmm. And, and so when, when I was kind of looking into the questions that we were going to ask, I was like, I, it like sticks in my mind, like, too short. One month is definitely too short. <laughs> um, okay. And it, it brings up a lot of questions. It's a great story to tell and get an interview moving. But at the same time, like, what's too long? Like, there's there's people that I know I've interviewed to come in. And it's like, okay, so you were at a company for, for five years. 
and you definitely have been inundated and, and institutionalized in the way they do things, how mm. easy is it going to be for you to break the habits you have there to move into this weird monoculture that we have over here? Mm. Mm. Um, so that's kind of like, what's too short? What's too long? What's the happy medium? Or is there one? Or is there one? Mm-hmm. Mm. I, I feel a lot like a relationship um, in that, like, I think the shortest, at least in, in DevRel, that I've been in a job was seven months. And that was my first job that I had. A big part of that breakup, quote unquote, so to speak, was... Wait, wait, just fact checking here. <laughs> the, the shortest time? or the, the shortest time. It was... Was seven months. Seven months? Oh, well, I don't mm. count. But I, there's some... So that's actually a so good point. Blip, yeah. I was at a, a company for a shorter time. I don't even put that on my resume. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think people need to know about it. And, and if anybody's scared about, like the there's there's a meme going around that basically says like please explain this gap in your resume no one has ever asked me that and i have a seven or eight month gap on my resume that i just i don't even have it i call it my sabbatical you know Mm. that was time that i was figuring out what i wanted to do next but i think in terms of actual jobs that i worked (laughs) (laughs) uh seven months was was probably the longest and for me that was just like I am commuting to Mountain View on a fold-up Brompton bicycle and a Caltrain, and I'm exhausted, and another opportunity closer to me popped up. So, like, for that, it was that. For the next one, it was like, wow, like, Microsoft wants me to interview for them. Of course I'm going to talk to Microsoft. And then um, in terms of the next job that I did, it was just like we were talking about where I was like, I really don't want to edit my own videos anymore. And I spoke to my management about it. I was like, hey, can I get like a contractor to do this? Or, you know, can we get someone to pay for my Canva account? Nope. Great. Okay. It's time for me to move on. And, And that's how I would also approach any type of friendship or romantic relationship. When is, they won't pay for your... Video. Yeah, when they won't pay for my Canva account. <laughs> when you but, find a partner that will not edit your videos for you, get a divorce. Time to move on. But if you find Honey, I'm those sorry things, you had to hear it like, here. I, I say this to my mentees all the time, like, if there are parts of your job that you really hate, like, process that. Like, what? why do you hate that? And you could hate the main part of your job, and that's a great sign that you sh- maybe should... There's so many flavors of Davrel. Like, there's so many different types of Davrel that, like, you really can do everything from writing to not being on camera at all to there, there's just so many different routes. So for me, it's just been, like, I've been in different seasons of my life, and, like, right. knowing when to leave has almost been, like, just a gut feeling in a way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... I think about, am I being drawn to something or am I walking away? <laughs> and I've had both. Uh, and I definitely pr- prefer the former, uh, I will say. It is uh, less frantic mm-hmm. than, than the latter. But I, I think about, regardless of how long I have been in a place, like, I have learned to pay attention to those feelings, whichever direction I'm being pulled or pushed. Yeah. Uh, because I, I, I was in one situation where I had been at this company maybe two months, and I started to get those feelings. The, the, the there, there was, there were some bubbles in my stomach. I was like, this doesn't feel right. Something, something is not right. Mm-hmm. And. I let it go. I said, I've only been here for two months. What do I know? This is like, this is my third job ever in life. Like, I haven't had that many experiences. Like, it'll be okay. 
I, because at this point, I'm still like, I have great people working with me. This is like my dream job. And I have feelings about that phrase as well. Uh, this is my dream job. This is what I want to be doing. Like, I'm working f- directly under somebody I really respect, uh, who I've learned so much from already. It was huge. And I was like, I, I can let this, this other thing go. But then that, those other things start piling up and piling up. And now I'm, I'm, I'm three months in. I'm six months in. I'm ten months in and I cannot take it anymore. Mm-hmm. And I have, I have cried. I have yelled, which is not a thing I do in life, generally. I have called in black. I am like... <laughs> I was like, I can't, I can't continue like this. I got to the point where I had like physical anxiety symptoms, which is another thing that typically does not happen for me. Mm-hmm. And that was the moment where I was like, it's too much. I imagine the stakes are very different too if you're a manager. Like I've never been yeah. a manager before, mm-hmm. but when you're responsible for people, like mm-hmm. I, I have not had the privilege of managing yet, but that must take a toll on, do I owe something to these people and I'm taking care of these folks? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and and then, there's the other side of it too, is, is the, you know, like I have a family, I have two kids that are in college and we, we've talked about this before. Having, having people that depend on you, you can't always just be like, well, I'll get out of here. I'll, I'll find another job. I'm sure. Like when you will then be home with, like I've, I've said to my wife several times, like we're going to live in a refrigerator box if I screw this up. So I will stay in this toxic job for 13 months. Because I don't have anything else on the horizon. And now, and it also, talking about taking a toll, it also starts to color the way that you look at things in interviews and the, the way that you say things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like it comes off as like, oh, I'm kind of being an asshole. Like about my old job because I hated it that much. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then, then, then people on the other side are like, wow, that guy's an asshole. Therapy helps a lot yeah. <laughs> to process it. Yes. Like I think about just like how much therapy served me post certain jobs mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. sometimes you need to process like what you went through oh, after yeah. that absolutely. absolutely absolutely definitely well and I think as a as a hiring manager looking at people's resumes like I'm it's very rare that I will look at someone's resume and dismiss it based solely on the amount of time that they've spent at a job oh. right like more often than not far more often than not I'll just have that as a question that I ask during the interview process of like, hey, I've noticed you've had a number of different jobs in the past X number of years. Can you tell me a little bit about that, right? And the red flag to me as a hiring manager is when someone goes, oh, well, you know, after about a year, I started looking for something else because it was time for me to find a new company. And then after I'd been there for a year, I started looking for something else because, you know, people only last 18 months to two years at a job. And that to me is a red flag largely because if I'm going to put in the time and energy as your manager to onboard you to the company, onboard you to our team, onboard you to our product, and I know that you're going to be gone 12 months after you're first hired, that's a, that's a lot of time and energy for me to have to do and then to have to turn around and rehire, which is going to take three to four to six months as well, right? But if it's hey, this company really wasn't a good fit. The, the goals of this team changed right after I got there. Um, there were layoffs at this company. Like, okay, cool. It's tech, right? That happens. I think we all know that that happens. Yeah. So I'm looking for 
commitment when it's the right fit for that person. And I, I think the only red flag for me is the, well, everyone says we only last 18 months at a job and then we're supposed to start looking again. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, well I mean, and that's, that, do we have that to? That kind of brings up the next question too, which mm-hmm. is like, why, and I feel like this is a DevRel thing very much, like, and, and you and I have dealt with it in contracting, mm-hmm. and I think you and I have dealt with it in contracting, where people are like, oh, you're jumping from thing to thing. That looks bad. Why does it look bad for us? It doesn't look bad for developers or database engineers or DevOps engineers. And are their skills any more interchangeable than ours are? Like why, and I've, I've always had this argument, even when I was a developer, I had this argument, we're not special. We just do a thing mm-hmm. that not everyone can do. It's the same in DevRel. We do a thing that not everyone can do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that makes us a specialized person, but that doesn't make us special. So why are we held to a different standard than other people in the tech world who can jump year to year. Um, I mean, I, I remember when I started my career, if you worked in San Francisco, you definitely worked for Engineard and OkCupid, GitHub, and a couple other places because those were all, for lack of a better term, incestuous relationships where people would just jump from job to job to job every year. And like that was like your, there were a big five, you worked at one of the big five. And so why, why when we get into DevRel, it's like, oh, well, you didn't work there for more than a year? Well, did you really put the effort in? Mm-hmm. It's like, Maybe I did. Maybe they didn't. Mm-hmm. Maybe the job was toxic. Maybe there was a ridiculous founder who shut the whole thing down after. But that. also, I don't want to work at a company where someone judges me for like, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. it's mutual. Like, mm-hmm. I'm interviewing them too. So if they have yeah. a problem, oh, 100%. It, like, it's like, okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I learned something here. <laughs> well, and I think part of it for DevRel is so often people are hired to be the spokesperson for that company, the the face face of that company. And so if I, as the face of a company, then leave the company, like I've had a number of times where people have walked up and been like, oh, that's not a good product anymore, is it? And I'm like, no, it's... It has nothing to do with it. It's a fine product. And they're like, well, but you left the company. I'm like, Mm. okay. And sometimes it's okay. Yes, I left the company because someone else offered me more money. Right. But I think, and and it goes the other way too, and we've talked about this on the podcast before, where like you join a new company and people are like, oh, I'm not familiar with that company. I'm going to go try them out because you joined, right? So like there's there's pros and cons to that, but I think that's one of the reasons why it's difficult for companies when a DevRel person leaves because the assumption is not just, oh, hey, you had a better opportunity, but there's something wrong with the product or the the company is toxic. Or you, or right, and then it, when they, then when you apply, it's like, well, can we can we trust this person to continue to be the face of the company for more than X amount of time? Um, I think, that, Mandy, you mentioned that people come to you, and that's how most of the time that you've gotten work, mm-hmm. and usually that's because of the work that you've done, the products that you've helped create, and the whether it's a podcast product or a physical product that you help bring to life or out there. How do you handle those conversations with disentangling the products and the work with you as these new companies or new people are finding you? How do you have those conversations? I... (laughs) Do they ever say like, oh, I like, do they give you all the credit for everything they say like from start to finish or do they say, what is your part of that? How, How do they break down and separate? your body of work with the actual work that you've done? I mean, I like, 
people come to me and they just know who I am as a person and then they give me roles. I'm like, okay, what do you need me to do? Well, we need you to do X, X, and X, so I will do it. Um, and then I've never left a company. Like, it's always been like, for me, like, the companies I've worked for, like the dev role and what I do is like the first job to go. So like when budget comes, bu budget cuts come around, they're just like, well, what do you do here? And it's like hard to explain. So they're like, okay, well, we're just going to let you go. And then so you just kind of go into another job. And for me, as a sole financial provider in my family, I just have to get the quickest job I can to make up that deficit because if I can't pay my bills, then I'm in a refrigerator box. Right, right. <laughs> it's a, and it's a totally different, like, everybody talks about hustle culture, but mm -hmm. contract is a totally different kind of hustle culture. Absolutely. It's, it's more of a, like, let, I have to maintain this hustle. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Yeah. You can't just get one client and be safe for the rest of my life. Nope. And, and I've talked extensively about, and I hope anyone who doesn't do DevRel or is thinking about hiring a DevRel team listens to this part, firing your DevRel team is the dumbest thing you can do because you're worried about financial things. They should be the team that you keep. They're leading people to your sales team. They're leading people to your product team. Mm -hmm. They're getting the people to walk through the door. They're the ones holding the door open. That's what DevRel does. So getting rid of someone like Mandy is a huge, huge mistake. And like what Mary was saying, you've been to interviews where the company, the previous company's reputation yeah. is now like in question yep. because you are no longer at that company. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. That means that I get tagged in a clippy post every day. <laughs> every yes. Well, you kind of did a thing. <laughs> See, that's I don't disclose the companies I've even worked for anymore. Like my LinkedIn profile looks so sparse and I really don't have a resume because it's like a lot of people know and like me and when they find out like, "Oh, you're not there anymore." We don't like them anymore and I'm yeah. like well, well actually, no, it's okay. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. there's, it's not. They're good people. Uh, yeah, they're good people. But I mean, it also brings up another interesting aspect of the entire DevRel hiring thing. Like, you, what you do is you work on a network basis. Like, your network knows what you do mm -hmm. and who do you do. And I've, I've referred people to you and mm -hmm. referred you to people because I know what your skill set is and I know that you can pick something up and run with it. Mm -hmm. So, like, how much of like DevRel hiring and stuff is, is actually based on that network? I mean, I get a ton of jobs because I do a podcast with Mary. She wrote a book. <laughs> I didn't write a book. I'm just book adjacent. Um, but like in all seriousness, like a lot of like, even more so than developer jobs or other jobs in tech, DevRel really relies on you having a network you've created. Mm -hmm. um, I was going somewhere with that question. I totally lost it. I think part of it for me, because of that network, we can inform other people about the experiences that we have had as well, yes. which I think mm -hmm. helps when when people are getting started, right? And I, I think the last thing that we wanted to touch on real quick before we move to checkouts is the idea of, you know, when for the more junior people who are earlier in their roles, what are the types of things to look out for when interviewing a company um, to say, hey, you know, what what signs are there that I might want to stay here for a longer period of time? What things are, are pointing to a good, healthy company? Um, what's the, let's say, quick popcorn top question that you ask to kind of suss that out? Aisha. I tend to ask, how do you deal, how do you deal with it when something goes wrong? And that's, that's typically a question that I ask, I'll ask a manager, uh, and if I have the opportunity to ask somebody on the team, 
then I will ask that there as well to kind of see both perspectives mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and whether or not they align. Uh, but it's also, I'm also looking at, is there, is there a culture of blame? It, does it seem like mm -hmm. they might be masking a culture of blame? Mm -hmm. uh, are they, is this uh, sort of a productive move forward that they're describing? Is it realistic? Mm -hmm. uh, or is this sort of a fantasy that we're both engaging in right now? Like, right. Um, and that has, since I've started asking that question, mm -hmm. felt like a pretty reliable measure of whether or not I am gonna be able to trust this person yeah. that I'm sort of handing a chunk of my career to. Absolutely, right. absolutely. Chloe? If your spidey senses are tingling and you're like, this feels like a red flag, it's probably red flag. Mm -hmm. um, the best example I can give is <clears throat> in my most recent uh, round of interviews, I interviewed for a DevRel role where they said, we will not be doing a whiteboarding interview. And I was like, great, because I'm going to need like two weeks to study for that. And then two of the people proceeded to give me a whiteboarding interview. And that told me... A waterboarding interview? <laughs> whiteboarding interview. Different, there are jobs. That's a different thing. And that said to me... And, and afterwards, I was very transparent. And I was like, hey, FYI, I, I, I asked you guys. I, I, I did this twice. I was not prepared. And they're like, you did great. And I'm like, ah, yes. But I would have been more prepared sure. had you followed what you were going to do. So things like that are always really big red flags to me. Um, I, I always ask... I mean, this is... I feel everyone always asks me, how do you measure success in DevRel? So I have my canned response to that, of course. Um, but I do kind of pick that up as a red flag sometimes, depending on the context of it. They do it with a chuckle, then I, then I know that they get it. Um, but yeah, if, if it feels like a red flag, smells like red flag, probably red flag. Probably red flag, yeah. Mandy, you mentioned a little bit about, you know, taking, taking the next jobs as they come, because sometimes we need to. But are there things with contract jobs with clients, things like that, that you kind of look for and go, eh, that's not going to be something that I actually want to take on if I have that choice. Yeah. Um, I mean, I have my wish list, but yeah. I really, I don't have the privilege of ever asking my interviewers questions besides um, when are you going to pay me? <laughs> because I've had clients withhold. Yeah. I've had I've had clients withhold um, significant amounts of money for me for months, and those are months where I was using credit and not paying bills, which added up to significant late charge and things like that. So, as a contractor, it's really important to set those expectations and say, okay when am I going to be paid because I have a family and that's important to me. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Which actually brings up another red flag, which I think is a big deal is especially when, when you're contracting and you do have a family, when you are dealing with a startup that is like seven people and, and none of them are over the age of 25, none of them have significant others. Mm -hmm. All of them are white dudes. That's a huge red flag. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And look out for green flags, too. Like, when yes, I interviewed that, Accenture, yeah, you're right. they changed my lineup. They said, we noticed you were being interviewed by all men today, so we brought in um, a woman and a non-binary person. I was like, oh, my gosh, thank you. Like, that's so Amazing. thoughtful yeah. that you did that. Absolutely. And to me, that was like, ding, like, yes. absolutely, I want to work here. This is, And it was a wonderful job. So yeah. green flags and red flags. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Awesome. Hey, here at devrelate.io, we know the world of DevRel can be tough. Deadlines, announcements, conferences, talks, where do you find all the time? That's where we come in. At devrelate.io, you can find the help you need to start, maintain, and move your developer and community relations forward. Handling everything from event planning and strategy to content development, podcast, documentation. We even help with speaker training and talk review. All in one place. When you're ready to augment your already great team, reach out at info at devrelate.io. That's info at D-E-V-R-E-L-A-T-E dot I-O. Devrelate.io, experience developer and community relations as a service. On that note, uh, we're going to move into our checkouts portion of... With PJ's lovely soundtrack. We need checkout music. Like we need checkout music. Wesley, we're going to have you kick us off. What is your checkout? Okay, all right. So this is going to be a little bit of a self promotion. I would love to say shameless self promotion, but I feel a little shame about it. It's funny we're talking about jobs. And I I mentioned this before during the lightning talks here at Link that I've had a lot. And some of them are like been extremely horrible. Um, through that process, I, um, I I did a lot of self discovery and self work to try to figure out a place for me in this world. One of the books that really helped me um, was a book called Radical Candor. Um, Radical Candor was written by uh, Kim Scott, and it's. Uh, was a really good framework about what a healthy workplace looks like in psychological safety. Um, then I read the following book that she made called Just Work. Uh, just Work was talking about working in a just work environment. Mm-hmm. So when... Like just as in justice, not just like just work. Just, yeah, exactly. Shut up and work. Shut up and work. Oh, uh, no. So, like, wow, you really okay. switched it up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so it's about uh, justice is the foundation of basically being able to implement radical candor with the openness of understanding that not everyone has the same advantages or, or, or privileges that you might have in order to speak up and put themselves out there. So how do you create a space that allows people to do that, to shape the workplace in the way that's comfortable for them. Mm-hmm. And that was like really um, revealing and it helps me so, so much. Um, I wrote Kim and it started a relationship and she started a podcast called Just Work about her book where they talk about different chapters. Um, and um, it was um, with a really great DEI um, professional and Kim. Uh, fortunately for me, he got a new job working for Ford, and so he couldn't do the podcast anymore. So I am now on the podcast. So um, new podcast that I'm on is called it's the Just Work podcast. If you can look for it in your podcatcher, uh, you can go to JustWorkTogether.com to see what the previous episodes. And so um, that's what I'm promoting. Awesome, cool. Yeah. And I'm going to bounce it around the table, Chloe. Uh, I have a podcast called Salute Your Squirts, S-K-O-R-T-S, mm-hmm. where I get to dive into everything 90s nostalgia that I really love. Mm-hmm. In particular, because I love Cassidy Williams. She's my favorite Devrel. Shout out to Cassidy. Mm-hmm. Uh, check out the Parent Trap episode with Cassidy, one of my favorites. The low renaissance of Lindsay Lohan oh yes. is upon wow. us. Um, right. We also did get a clue, and it's mostly tech people on there talking about 90s awesome. stuff. So Also, I was listening wow. to the Rocket Podcast, Christina Warren's latest episode. 
episode, drop your name in it if you haven't heard it. Oh. Uh, about how you two talked about having a Firefest uh, musical. Yes, we really want to make a Firefest musical, so can Jaw you, Rule, please reach out to can me. You, can you mention, because Billy McFarland did just announce last week that Fire Festival 2 is happening, everybody. Oh, we're Get in the comments. Now. We are in the comments. We requested tickets. We're like, this is for research purposes. Absolutely. I, I myself love a white bread and cheese sandwich, so I will definitely be there. That is a character awesome. in it. <laughs> I will watch this. Um, if you could perform the musical at the festival, that was not, probably will never happen. Anyway, in the weeds. Mary, what do you got? So I just finished a book called But What If We're Wrong? Um, I, I am not familiar with this concept. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> I, I'm very aware of that. Um, <laughs> uh, honestly, I picked it up solely because of the cover, because the cover is upside down. So you judged a book by its cover. I did. Just to be okay. And it, and it, it proved out to be a good thing this time. Um, but it's it's this book about, like, if we were to look at what we have currently as if it were 200, 300, 400 years in the future and to reevaluate it based on what we know then. Um, and it's everything from, like, what if our concept of gravity is not accurate because that has changed mm-hmm. over the years yep. to things like... Um, if you ask someone on the street who the best playwright is, they're usually going to say Shakespeare. If you go back and try and evaluate the other playwrights of Shakespeare's time, you won't be able to uh, accurately view the works because our framework of judging good plays right. is based on Shakespeare. The power defaults, like you have that knowledge, you can't unlearn Exactly, it. Yeah. exactly. So it's this whole concept of like the way that we look at the world and the fact that a lot of uh, history or the, the people that we elevate is determined by people who don't actually know who we should be elevating because that's all, such a small percentage of people. And it was... Definitely a book that had me going back and rereading things and, and considering things in a different way. And it was a lot of fun and a little bit of a mind bender and highly recommend it. Awesome. Mandy? For me, I, I used to have a podcast. It was, it was uh, I think we did like 270-something episodes called Greater Than Code. Um, I've since put that on the back burner because I'm... Uh, I was, I was honestly tired of doing 15 to 20 hours of work every week of unpaid emotional labor. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd love to have sponsorship and get that back on the air. Um, but so far, I have had no luck in anybody reaching out to me to get that and, and get that started and make it a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, also, in the meantime, I'll reach out and say that on the air, like, I'm in recovery, and um, a big part of my co- recovery was getting um, doing training to help other people. Um, I don't subscribe to the AA 12-step way. Um, I use holistic modalities, um, learning about myself. I'm, I taught myself, or no, I didn't teach myself astrology, but I'm a professional astrologer now, so looking at who you are. Who, what makes you up as a person. I also do energy healing and um, a bunch of other things on top of it. And I really enjoy having clients that I can help weekly um, just chat and get them through. So if you're interested or know anybody who might benefit 
from speaking to me, you can have them reach out at releaseholisticrecovery.com. And And that's for the sponsorship as well? For yes. Uh, well, for great. I mean, I have seven emails. It'll go. I'll, <laughs> She'll get the email. I'll get the email. But yeah, Mandy at releaseholisticrecovery.com is my email. Um, for that, for tech, it's Mandy at devreps.com, D-E-V-R-E-P-S. And we'll link all that in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. Aisha. Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to maybe switch it up a little bit. So in addition to my work in tech, I also own a game store in Detroit. What? what? Oh, I didn't know this was news to everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Mine what was protect, because we talked about this last year in Portland. I, I knew that, too. Yeah. Well, amazing. Yeah. I, I Tell us more. So we'll have a whole other conversation after this. Tell but yes. <laughs> so one of the things that we do to try and uh, build up more of a, a gaming community in Detroit is my partner and I run a, an RPG book club. This is a role-playing game book club. So every month, we bring a new RPG, um, and we don't necessarily require everybody to read through the entire book ahead of time. It's a lot of information. It's very dense. They tend to be very dense. Um, But we come, and we ask you to learn the basic rules um, and have an idea of what what you want your character to look like. And then we'll run a one-shot or a single session of that role-playing game in, uh, on a Saturday. And then the next week, we'll have a more traditional book club discussion about the game and the mechanics and the theme and how the session went. Uh, and we kind of go from there. That's fantastic. That's awesome. Uh, I have so many more questions. Yes. So the the recommendation that I have is uh, our second book that we did this with is called Thirsty Sword Lesbians. Okay. And it is, it's on our spicy shelf. However, (laughs) it does not need, it's not necessarily spicy. It is, uh, it is a game. in Florida. (laughs) It is a game where, uh, you're not necessarily focused on combat, but on emotional expression. Mm-hmm. All uh, your your influence in the game is determined by the strings that you have on other characters, both the potential adversaries in the story, but also your groupmates. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you're you're playing to try and and figure a person out or to understand your own motivations better. Uh, And it's this emotional exploration versus a really combat-focused storyline. And I just, I really, really enjoyed the way that that goal Mm -hmm. played into all the different mechanics in the game. Uh, And so if you're looking for something a little bit different, if you have been thinking like, oh, I, I want to try D&D, but it's, it's not, it seems, you know, super complicated or I don't, I don't want to be fighting, you know, monsters left and right. Like, there are tons and tons of RPGs out there, and I really recommend uh, individuals and teams trying uh, some of the indie stuff. Awesome. Awesome. I would say you should try to turn that into a podcast, because I, I would love to see a podcast on someone trying to run the Sailor Moon RPG. <laughs> Because I've tried, and it's hard. It's just difficult, because you only ever get seven characters. Like, it doesn't change. And some idiot has to be Tuxedo Mask. But anyway. <laughs> um, 
You didn't do anything. You're welcome. Um, so my checkout for this week, I have a couple uh, since we talked about podcasts. The one that I will mention first is uh, the Spotify for Developers podcast. As everyone knows, I'm working on the Spotify uh, dev developer experience team, and we just relaunched our developer portal, which is really awesome, and it's beautifully designed, and it's really pretty. Like, it was great before and functional, but now it like, actually looks good as well. Um, and so in order to get more people into that, we decided we would do a uh, podcast for developers. So it's called Spotify for Developers on the Air. Um, and you, we're at three episodes now, and you should check that out. So that's pretty cool. Um, the other thing is, because is I always like to mention an album, and I was really excited because I'm a big fan of the artist Julian Baker. I think she's amazing. Her talent between singing and the guitar is just stunning. Um, but she teamed up with her friends Lucy Dacus and Phoebe Bridgers to create a band called Boy Genius. And it's probably, I will say, as of right now, this could always change, the best album of 2023. Um, each of them, as artists, get to create, like, they write the song, but then they mix together to write other songs. And it's just a really good combination of music with a lot of different kind of influences. And those are my checkouts. So before we close off completely, I just want to say, Mandy, Chloe, Aisha, thank you so much for being a part of this episode. Yes, um, thank it, you. It's been a total joy. I've really enjoyed it. It's great being here. So thank you for inviting us to, to Link because it's like the serendipity of every all of you being here at the same time is awesome. Yeah. Um, and I like I usually like to close with a quote. So for this this episode, I, I picked a quote from Bruce Springsteen, who is my real dad in real life. Um, but he had a great quote talking about like kind of what we were talking about, like work and, and experience and things like that. And it's, it's pretty simple, but it's straightforward. It's not the time in your life. It's the life in your time. Mm -hmm. And with that, thank you very much for listening to Community Pulse. And thank you for the privilege of your time. You've been listening to the Community Pulse. Find out more at communitypulse.io. On Twitter at community underscore pulse or anywhere you get your favorite podcast. If you've enjoyed this podcast, check out our extra podcast, The After Pulse. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on the